This week on a lively experiment, Governor Raimondo's budget scoops come under fire at a Senate hearing and reaction to the president's State of the Union address. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. For 30 years, a lively experiment has been helping us understand the most important issues facing Rhode Islanders. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to be a sponsor of this great program. Joining us this week, Wendy Schiller, political science professor for Brown University, former U.S. Congressman Bob Wagan, and WPRI's political reporter, Ted Nisi. Welcome, everyone. I'm Jim Hummel, and it's good to have you with us this week. President Trump had a lot to say in Tuesday night's rescheduled State of the Union address. We will get the panel's take on that a little later. But first, Governor Raimondo's continued use of so-called scoops to balance her budget drew a sharp reaction from the Senate Finance Committee this week and from the quasi-public state agencies whose reserve funds are being raided again. Bob, I know it's been a while since you've uh, looked at a state budget, but um, this, this is a re- <laughs> yes, in, in prep for the show. Uh, this is a recurring thing. It's the one-time fix. And her director of administration said, well, it's regrettable, but we need to preserve the governor's signature program. So as a concept, what do you think? I, I don't like it. Um, I've seen them raid various kinds of funds over the years that really do hurt the quasi-public agencies. Uh, then there's another side of the coin where the quasi-public sometimes charge too much, and so therefore they have a reservoir of money left over. Uh, and so they, rightfully they should go after that money or the reduce the rates that they're charging. Um, but the $25 million, whatever it was that we finally came out with, uh, is not unusual. Uh, I deplore it. I don't think that's good. I think those agencies should be run lean and mean. But some of them set aside money for future capital improvements or other things they're going to do. And now they're going to be caught short. It's not the way to, uh, to balance a budget. Uh, it's the way to uh, refine some of those quasi-publics, but not to balance your budget. You shouldn't be taking it out of that. You should be doing other things to try to improve the budget. Conserve on spending. Be more frugal in certain areas, and then focus on what the quasi-public should be doing and change their rates if they're, they're too high. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I completely agree in the sense of uh, making sure that the focus uh, is on this nearly $10 billion budget, finding ways not to c- keep increasing state spending. Now, a lot of it's federally funded, but still, you know, you can't keep on this trajectory whether the economy is good now. There's going to be a downturn eventually, and then people who rely on the programs funded now will be hurt later. I also think you shouldn't penalize uh, an, a quasi-public agency for being, you know, responsible with money, saving it, building a reserve. You know, the, you reduce the incentive for them to do that if you're just going to take their reserves away. Right, and Resource Recovery had said we're building up reserves, but we see, unlike the state thinking two or three years out, Sometimes they do. They're saying we may need that money down the line. If you talk to the governor's uh, aides, and especially former aides who, whose tongues are looser now because uh, they don't work directly for the governor, you know, I think part of what's going on here is a sort of shadow boxing between the governor and the assembly about the budget process. So the governor has to write her budget in January off the estimated revenue in November. But then the assembly gets to wait, look at the new estimated revenue in May, and it's often play Santa Claus by taking 
taking out the things that the governor did to make the budget balance, adding in goodies that the governor couldn't because there was less money available, and then, you know, putting out a budget and saying, oh, look, we fixed the governor's terrible budget. And Governor Raimondo's never liked that system. She's always felt that uh, it sets up the governor to have a much harder decision and also to give the assembly more latitude on spending suggestions. And so I think part of why she puts these in is because it's almost like a placeholder. Now, don't get me wrong, if, if revenue doesn't come in higher in May, you would have to use these, and it, it's not necessarily responsible. But I do think part of this is her saying, you know what, I'm not going to make even harder choices in my January budget proposal just for the lawmakers in May to say, oh, I'm taking out all this, the unpopular stuff she did, and I'm going to give some more out. And the House and Senate finance committees both have scaled back. They've cut that in half. At the end of the day, when the sausage comes out, they figure it out. As to the larger budget, yeah. I don't know what it was when you were in the assembly, a lot less than it is About now. One third. It was around three to four billion. And, and so somebody, Ted, I don't know if it's you, but the analysis has been it's gone up about a billion years for every four years of mm-hmm. a governor's term. And I wonder what you, you'd said. Some of it is federal money. A lot of it drives with Medicaid. Yeah. But you wonder at what point we we got to rein it in a little bit. Well, where you rein it in is when you start seeing, particularly in downtimes, uh, we're in a very good economic time. This is uh, the best time of best times where you've got a lot of people working. Uh, they're all paying income tax. They're all paying sales tax. They're doing all the things that we hope uh, 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 citizens will do during the good times. During the bad times is when you start looking at this and saying, why is it so high? Because now we have to cut services. We have to tax more. Uh, I'm disappointed that we're now balancing, uh, trying to balance a budget by some of these tax increases. Basic government operation should stay within its uh, budget bounds that is first set up. We shouldn't be adding more sin taxes and other taxes to just balance the original budget. They should only be used for purposes of really adding new programs that may be necessary. Uh, So I'm disappointed uh, to see uh, some of these taxes that are coming out just to balance the regular budget. $9.9 billion is a lot of money. Um, It seems that much, um, but I'm doesn't bother me that it's that high, the, the big, big figure. What bothers me is when I don't see uh, new programs that are being paid for under the existing or, or former tax structure. Uh, while we're, we're really at a good time, and I, I could see in two years from now, we're going to be tough times. The administration likes to say we've had no broad-based taxes, but I think the optics are. So you can argue, and we have, whether the Rhode Island Promise is something that's one of the signature programs, but you have to pay more to go to Scarborough. You have to, you know, when you register your car, it's going to be another. So it's the nickel and diming that we've talked about on this show. So I don't know about the optics of that, to be able to preserve a program to send people to college tuition-free. Yeah, but the thing is, if you invest in the short and long term in Rhode Island and investing businesses to come here and new businesses, you need an educated, trained workforce, and you need to give people the opportunity to get that kind of education. If you don't invest in that, you're not investing in the kind of core that will keep the economy stable in Rhode Island. So, you know, you have to figure out where you're going to cut. What are you going to cut? Maybe you have to make, you know, people have to pay more for Medicaid, uh, for nursing home coverage, or something like that. You have to think, okay, who, who am I investing in? The people at the end stages of their life or the people who are in the beginning? beginning stages of their life. These are difficult questions, not just for the state of Rhode Island, but for the country as a whole, especially as we move forward. Yeah, I think Wendy's right, because I think I, you know, I, when I was first a budget reporter, I would say it's, it's so much money, you know, must be, there must be just all these hugely wasteful programs that, you know, they could just be tossing out and they're not for some reason. And of course there's waste. Of course there's things that could be run better. I would never want to say otherwise. But on the other hand, I have realized that, you know, the big ticket items in that budget are Medicaid, 
uh, education and, and, lo and locked in and, and locked in and you right. could change them but you know often even when they try to uh, reduce for example the rate increases to hospitals and nursing homes which are big cost drivers there's a huge outcry from people who say we need good hospital cares what's it doing to our nursing homes and so you end up squeezing a very small part of the budget tighter and tighter because you're growing and growing the healthcare and education side of the budget. It's just it's 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 really hard to actually uh, rein it in in a way that's that's popular for people. Everything in the budget had someone supporting it at some point. You know, they all have constituencies, uh, but we we should look at and we don't really do this. Government doesn't do it, and maybe it's too idealistic. But we never look at what we don't have to do. We always look at it and, and say, well, we did this last year, so we have to continue on, and it's going to have a certain inflation number, whether it's because of salaries or something else is going to increase. Never do we ever see government take a look at what can we not start doing and eliminate some of those things and take that money that we saved and put it into the hospitals, into the health care, into the education, into the infrastructure, into roads and bridges, those types of things. And that effort... Uh, I know that may seem idealistic. That has never really been done. Sounds like a political science course that you could teach, Bob. What do you think? <laughs> what about minimum wage? There's a discussion about, in the northeastern states and others, moving toward the $15 an hour. Now, we saw the news, Durgan Park, the famed Durgan Park closing. That guy had some other problems with taxes and pipes and infrastructure and all that. But there are some small businesses who are beginning to say it's getting to the point where we may not be able to afford as many people. Are you generally in favor of the minimum wage continuing to go up, or do well, you have you some see, concerns? You, you see this in, the, uh, in a good economy. because So let's say a small business has to let go one person because they have to pay more in the minimum wage. I mean, we went from 1010 to 1060, I think, this year. Yeah. So, I mean, we're going to have to uh, keep pace. But then you think to yourself, okay, but then I'm providing a better wage for the person who is employed, and in a good economy, that other person can find a job somewhere else. What happens is in a bad economy. What happens yeah. to us as we raise the minimum wage and the economy starts to go south and there aren't the other jobs for people to find, then you get to a squeeze where small businesses will still lay people off, but those people will not have anywhere to go, but the people who make $15 an hour will be in slightly better shape. This is a trade-off and redistribution among the same kind of class of working people, and that's a public policy problem. You have to figure that out and anticipate it for a bad economy. In a good economy, I think people can shoulder this, but in a bad economy, I think it's going to create some difficulties. I'm generally in favor of raising the minimum wage. Having been a small business owner, what I found was that was bothersome to me was and my uh, my workers my my employees were skilled workers who were draftsmen architects uh, engineers um, what I really would like to see is that there be more incentives and reduction in the cost for small business owners. Then they can front the increased cost with regard to wages. That we don't do that. We still have. We've been trying to reduce some of the corporate income tax. We've been trying to reduce some of the fees, but we really don't do enough for small businesses in Rhode Island. And the governor and I disagree with her on this. She's focused a million, millions of dollars into uh, trying to bring in big corporations to the state of Rhode Island. Nice, but where's the millions of dollars going into the small business development that we should have to offset the cost of that they may have as a rising uh, wages? Uh, uh, backbone of Rhode Island business in the economy is small business. It's not big business. We are taping on a Friday, and uh, Ted, you had a story come out Thursday uh, about if you are living anywhere within the Narragansett Bay Commission uh, footprint, you've seen your rates already. I'm not give, giving you any news you don't know. 
triple, sometimes even more, because of this big combined sewer overflow. You talked to the Treasurer Magaziner. The concern now is phase three, and it's a lot more expensive than when they were talking 20 years ago, that it might be unsustainable for taxpayers. So set the table and some of his concerns, and is there going to be a middle road on it? Well, I can have you set the table, Jim, because you've been covering this, too, for Hummel Report over the years. But um, I think as we've both seen, the this has been going on since the early 1990s. They, under the Clean Water Act, we can't keep pushing dirty water out into the bay when there's so much rain that the sewers are flooded, which which I think people can understand generally, and that's helped to clean up the bay the first two phases. But the state has so far spent over a half a billion dollars on the first two of three phases of this project. Now they're trying to embark on the third phase, $779 million. And there's no, and there's no federal money available. It's all on the ratepayer. Yes. Right? In fact, uh, the Narragansett Bay Commission says back when they started talking about this, there were some federal programs that would help to defray the cost since it is a federal mandate. Now they said they'll maybe give you a loan, but you've got to pay back a loan. So it's not it, it's all on the ratepayers. And the ratepayers include, for this project, some of the poorest Rhode Islanders in Providence, in Central Falls, in Pawtucket. And so Treasurer Magaziner pointed out that their, their own projections of where sewer bills are going to go is almost $600 a year in the next few years. And in some of the poorer neighborhoods, you're talking about... Uh, well over 2% of a household's annual income just to the Narragansett Bay Commission sewer bill. In the poorest uh, section of Providence, it's going to be 4% of the average uh, family's income is going to go to the sewer bill. It's just, it's a lot of money. And he says they really should rethink uh, having every ratepayer charge the same for this if they have to do the project because it's just, it's going to get very unaffordable, especially for lower income families. One of the things that we should really be looking in this project, by the way, great reporting. Uh, this, this is a really good um, project. We should be looking at who are the beneficiaries, not just the users of the system. As Ted pointed out in his article, there are people further downstream from Providence, Pawtucket, and Central Florida. One fully embedded. That, that are entitled uh, to quality of water, but they're getting it because of this project, but they're not paying for it. Uh, and so I would think that what would be appropriate is to look for state to come in as, as uh, overall. This is where new monies could be used for a great purpose of bonding for this particular project. Some of the cost of that $779 million, whether it's Narragansett, Barrington, East Greenwich, uh, North Kingstown, South Kingstown, all the communities that are benefiting from it should at least pay for some of that. And the only way to do that is to have some kind of a bonding structure for part of it on a statewide basis uh, versus just the, uh, the rate users. Spread the love. Yeah, no, I mean, yes. that's what you have to think about. And we think about utilities in general. I mean, if people have noticed their gas bills, natural gas bills, have gone way up in the last couple of years. We've had approved rate hikes. And you think, well, the natural gas is very plentiful in the United States. Maybe it's a distribution cost. But it keeps going up and up and up. And, you know, these are actual taxes on people. You know, they're not government-levied taxes, but right. they're basically taxes to use basic things that we need. And the state seems to do nothing but approve these increases and, um, and without any explanation why are these increases happening? And so across the board, I think there's a general sense of frustration amongst people. We will pay for what we use, but it has to be reasonable when you're increasing the cost. And that's true for this, too. Yeah, and I think, too, uh, you know, I was reading back, you and I were uh, talking yesterday after the story came out, and you pointed me to, to one of the stories you did on this project. From 2014. From 2014, a number right. of years ago. And reading that and thinking through my own reporting on this, I was thinking, if the governor had come out in the state of the state and announced, I want to float a $779 million bond to clean up Narragansett 
Bayer, it would be all we'd be talking about, right? Holy Moses, you know, three quarters of a billion, is it right? How's the structure, et cetera? But because this project is in a somewhat obscure quasi-public agency, it's baked into your sewer rates, it's not getting as much attention as, as things that have cost far less, like 38 Studios or the Pawsox or whatever. So sometimes I also think we're... Uh, you know, it's like we have a shiny object syndrome where we should really look closely at this because regardless of exactly who it's on, these are costs that Rhode Islanders and around businesses will pay. And uh, we should just make sure that it's that every penny is being used wisely when you're talking about this big of a project. This is where small businesses are going to be paying. We talked about small businesses before. They're going to be paying part of this as, as well in those cities, those communities, because their sewer bill is going to go up. Uh, that's going to be harmful to them. That's going to that's like another tax on top of everything they already have. So let's take a look at this on, on a statewide basis and say, yes, we know that it's Providence, it's Pawtucket, it's Central Falls, and, and part of East Providence, actually. Um, why not look at a statewide remedy to all this? And, and I, I can't understand why we're – this is the kind of project that the governor should get behind. But here's the maddening thing. The Clean Water Act says it's never good enough until it's 100 percent. And I've been sailing on the bay – I told Ted this yesterday, 50 years, and I said, did I just say that? <laughs> I've been on the bay for 50 years since I was a young – kid, if you talk to fishermen, they're yeah. starting to open. Remember, it used to be, you know, floating, whatever, in the Providence River. They're talking about um, actually swimming at Sabin Point, your old town, East Providence. But what happens is they're at 95, 96, 97 percent of the cleanliness that they want, but they've got to spend $700 million to get the last 3 percent. And I don't understand why there isn't some, you can't tell the government, hey, look, we're really where we want to be on Narragansett Bay. Why do we have to continue so to do we can ask for a waiver. Well, I mean, they've been trying to do Jack that, Reed, I think. Jack Sheldon Whitehouse, you know, uh, Langevin Cicilline can ask for a waiver. And on the Trump administration, they might get the waiver. Yeah, I mean, seriously, this is not the Obama not administration. Well, we'll have somebody else come in. But that, isn't that the maddening thing? Is that? The Clean Water Act uh, called for uh, fishable, swimmable waters, and that was Class B waterways throughout. A kid growing up in Pawtucket, I remember uh, playing down by the Seekonk River, which was not fishable. You fall in, you get a concussion. It was an open sewer. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, it was terrible. Today, now, it is. I remember right. a couch that used to float through the 10-mile river in Adelaide. <laughs> <laughs> is that supposed to be there? Yeah. Uh-huh. It's, but we have raised the quality. Now, uh, certainly, they could ask for a waiver or a partial waiver. And there's other remedies. I hate to see the, uh, the rate be paid by the people in those communities only. It should be borne by a number of other people. Yeah, and I just, I just want to briefly say, I, my story wasn't necessarily, and no one said this, uh, to say that this is necessarily a boondoggle or it's just a huge investment that right. should probably get closely scrutinized and discussed by Rhode Islanders uh, b- before we embark on it. Because, you know, once you build, these are massive tunnels underground. You're not going to build half it and then stop. So. Well, and we were talking before the show about it's what do they build it as the largest project you'll never see? Yeah. The water pipes under Allen's Avenue or right. wood. I mean, unless things are breaking, nobody's paying attention to it. Remember, they did, they ran that huge hole. It was actually at the parking lot at Channel 6 when I worked there. So we had to go around for like three years because and Link Chafee would go down and they'd snake through. It's amazing when you see the video and you realize during a heavy storm, it used to be just overflow. But anecdotally, the bay is in really good shape as far. And and the health department bears that out. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. We will. uh, You know what? Let's uh, do outrageous. Then we will get to the State of the Union because there's plenty to talk about that. Ted, what do you have for an outrageous? I was thinking about my outrage this morning. My outrage is I wish everyone stopped saying the media. Because it includes so many different people and outlets. I I constantly, I'm opening Twitter and I see people say, the media did this wrong, the media is always doing X. The media 
includes everyone from these, you know, million dollar a year, many million dollar a year anchors on CNN or Fox News or whatever, down to these kids making $25,000 a year at a local newspaper or a VJ video journalist starting out at a television station. Uh, it includes your local newspaper. It includes national outlets. I really think uh, it, I just wish people would think a little harder about who they're talking about when they say the media and that not every outlet is the same not even the way we handle things there's no there's no meeting in the morning of the media where they give us marching orders right it's it's too it's a huge blob and and it's better to think specifically about specific outlets before you believe whatever bashing of the media you hear can i tell you i was the editor of my college newspaper big newspaper in north carolina and i was the editor the date ronald reagan was shot and you know there was a lot of uh conflicting carolina happened to be in the national championship that night too but that's a whole nother story but my mother because remember they said jim brady died he didn't my mother called me up and she goes, you media people. And I'm like, I'm running a college newspaper in North Carolina. Talk to Frank Reynolds about that. Right. But point well taken. Yeah, exactly. We all get getting, I get yelled, I'm getting yelled at on Twitter for things that some network uh, talking head did. I'm like, I'm just trying to read about the Bay's sewer financing. We can do a whole show as to whether we're better off with, with or without Twitter. Uh, when, what do you have? <laughs> um, my outrage is general. It's um, what I call the move-along culture, that things happen, and we get very, very upset for 24 to 48 hours, and then we move on to the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. And I just think, you know, that's why people get upset that things aren't getting addressed, but they're not getting addressed because politicians know this. They know that people get upset for 48 hours and then they're going to move on into something else. So we are not applying the consistent pressure on politicians, on our elected officials, on things that either cost us money or make us safer, make us less safe, whatever it is, we have to stay focused, more focused as a society in a democracy, or nothing will ever get solved the way that we want it to solve. Be solved. I blame the media. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I, I hear a media criticism in there. Robert, what do you have? Well, this is something that I think is going to last more than 48 hours. It's going to go on for a while, and it's unfortunate. It's, it's outrageous. Uh, it's unfortunate, and I'm disappointed by it. Uh, State of Virginia, uh, the governor uh, wearing blackface, uh, first of all saying that it was him in a photograph with a person who looked like he was part of the Ku Klux Klan, uh, which was outrageous. Um, then he said it wasn't him, uh, that it was indeed uh, someone else, but he was at uh, one time uh, in blackface. The lieutenant governor has now been charged with sexual assault. Uh, the attorney general, who would be the third in line to succeed the governor and lieutenant governor, uh, admits to being in blackface. Uh, to me, and, and this occurred not sometime before uh, the civil rights movement, before 1964 and 65. This occurred in the 1980s, long after all the marches, long after full awareness of what was going on, that these Democrats, and I'm a Democrat, I'm just so outraged that they would try to skirt this issue and not address it properly. I hope they do. Uh, I think it's wrong. Uh, I'm deeply disappointed by the leadership in Virginia, and I, and I hope that the media treats them uh, with um, great scrutiny, go after them as far, as far as they can. But it's disappointing. It's really disappointing. It is an, that is an astonishing it is. Uh, set of – we're on like all the third – I was going to say the third person in line now is also in trouble. It's, I can't – I was trying to imagine if it was happening here. I mean – the reporters' heads are absolutely spinning down there in Virginia. Every absolutely. few hours, something yeah, comes out. And, and it's not illegal what they did. 
So they do not and cannot be removed from office, be impeached or removed because they did something illegal, except for the lieutenant governor, uh, if, the, if that uh, proves to be true. Uh, the allegations need to be flushed out more by the media, and they will be. Uh, but it's just outrageous that now, in 2019, that we're talking about those kinds of things and people are trying to hide what happened. And I'm just disappointed, just right. very disappointed. We have about five minutes left, the uh, State of the Union on Tuesday. Well, let's go right to it. What is your uh, initial blush? We did a perfectly good job, Donald Trump. It was a very standard State of the Union, um, except for some of the sort of really, um, uh, I think, pretty far out there scare tactic rhetoric on immigration and abortion. Other than that, it could have been delivered by Bush. It could have been delivered by Clinton. It could have been delivered by any number of presidents. He did it well. He, I mean, he was a little loose. He took, you know, he took the sort of uh, jumping up of the Democratic women in stride. I thought he did a very good job. That was good a good job. ad lib, don't you think? Yeah, he's, I mean, uh, and I think Nancy, Nancy Pelosi sitting behind him. I think it just changes so much of the dynamic of the Trump administration. And the question is, does he figure out that he's going to have to pivot a little bit, not necessarily in policy, but just in tone and demeanor when there's a woman sitting behind him, a Speaker of the House? But he did a very good job. I, I think it was fine. Was it just me or did it seem that there was a little bit of a compromise on the wall? It doesn't have to be a concrete wall. It could be slats or whatever. It yeah, they're going like, to have to give him money. I mean, Bob. No, no, but I mean, it sounds like he was coming off of his... Don't you think? He has to because they're not going to give him that money. They're going to give him money, $6 billion. Take it. Do it. You can't build a concrete wall, but do whatever else you need to do. You pay for a lot of slats. Exactly. What he did was he gave them an opening because yeah. he, he was not firm about the concrete wall again or the steel wall. It just needs to be a barrier, that type of thing. Right. Uh, I thought he did a good job. Uh, I've sat through a lot of those down in that chamber. Um, he addressed the issues that he wanted to address, but he also set a tone for the 2020 campaign. He's talking about they're socialists and we're Americans. We will never be a socialist uh, society or a government. And that really drew a line in the sand of all the things he said and did the other evening. That really says I'm running again for re-election and this is what they're about and this is what I'm about and I'm going to solve your problems and they're going to make your problems worse. I do think, I think uh, Wendy made a good point that you see how much the dynamics in Washington change when uh, a chamber of Congress or the White House changes over. I, I remember when in 2006 when the Democrats won back the uh, House and Senate after it had been uh, the Republicans had been in control under President Bush. It was just such a. I was surprised how different all of a sudden Washington was operating in the months after when you had divided government. And I think we're still, especially with starting out with the shutdown, which is such an unusual way to begin a new Congress. Uh, you're only just starting to be reminded of how different it was having two years of all Republican government where the president had no al- uh, adversaries in power versus having the, the first the first branch mentioned, right, in the Constitution, Wendy, uh, in control of, of the other party. Um, and I think it really, I think, Wendy's right, I think it, it changes the dynamic in ways we probably don't even realize what's going to happen yet. So predictions for the next couple of years? Well, he's, he wants. He didn't spend much time on infrastructure because we have such a big uh, deficit, almost a trillion dollar deficit now because the tax cut bill. But he wants infrastructure. Democrats are going to have to work with him on because that's something that's good for everybody, particularly northeastern states. So there are some things. Immigration reform. I think people underestimate the extent to which uh, Trump will pivot on this if he's given a good enough deal. But it's untenable. I mean, Pelosi cannot take a deal that's got punitive language towards undocumented immigrants because our progressive caucus will just bolt like the Freedom Caucus on the right. 
right. I, I think he's going to work on infrastructure. But he mentioned that last year. Nothing's happened over the last year. But I think he will. Oh, we got kind of sidetracked on a couple of the things, right? A few right? things, just a little, not too much. But I also think he's going to work on something that Democrats want. Uh, that is uh, prescription drugs, uh, uh, keeping down the cost of health care uh, in pre-existing conditions. If that and infrastructure uh, take its uh, place in the, the Congress over the next two years, uh, I think that would be about all he gets done. I, I, I think they will not shut down the government, uh, that they will give him some money. I don't know if it's going to be $5.7 billion. It may be something like three point two. Uh, and then phase in some other things. But he will give some uh, he will give a little bit as long as they do. And I think he's realizing that he can win reelection if he goes after them on your socialist. And I'm a, a true blooded, uh, blue blooded American. And uh, we have to stand for what is a, a good democracy, not socialism. All right, Bob, you get the last word because that's all the time we have. Uh, thank you for joining us, Wendy and Bob and uh, Ted. Good to see you. You'll hear Ted's opinion after the show. <laughs> He's like ready to jump in. Uh, thanks for joining us and be sure and come back here next week as a lively experiment continues. Have a great weekend. experiment is generously underwritten by for 30 years a lively experiment has been helping us understand the most important issues facing rhode islanders hi i'm john hazen white jr and i'm proud to be a sponsor of this great program 